0: Let us pray. Almighty and most gracious God, draw near with your spirit and pour him upon us. That your word would become planted deep within our hearts. That we would continue learning of St. Paul and from St. Paul. And most importantly, learning from Christ himself who speaks through Paul to us. So apply these words directly to us this day. That we would follow after you and pursue you. And know you more deeply, gracious Father, through Christ our Lord. Amen. So one thing I've discovered about Facebook's usefulness in the past couple of years is the on this day feature. It's a fun little feature where you click on it and it tells you, oh, here are things that you've posted about in years past on this particular day. I usually check it every day just to kind of see what cute pictures I've posted of the kids over the years because there's lots of pictures of the kids throughout the years or to see some of the silly things I've posted about. Yesterday, I checked it and it turns out that 11 years ago yesterday, I went back to work at Barnes & Noble for the third time in my life. Shortly after Rachel, actually not just shortly, but right after Rachel and I got married, I went to work at Barnes & Noble for the first time they um they were willing to hire me one of my friends worked there that i'd worked with in another job and um, she helped me get that job and i worked there for about a year before i felt like all right it's time for me to move on and try something else for a while then we moved to charlotte for me to go to seminary and well barnes and noble was a good fit it was right down the street from where we were living and so i went to work there again once more i worked there for about a year before i was ready to start an internship at the church where we were attending and I took on a job at the seminary, so I didn't have time to work at Barnes & Noble anymore. That lasted for a bit longer this time, not being at Barnes & Noble, but after Nate was first born, time for employment came up. The bookstore wasn't enough to pay me to cover our bills, and so I needed to get another job while I was in seminary. So I went back to Barnes & Noble. Conveniently, I went there regularly. So the managers were still there, they knew they had kept in touch with me. And one of the managers actually looked at me a few weeks before that and said, hey, if you ever need a job, just come tell me, and I will hire you back in an instant and make room for you to work here. That was how much the store manager liked me, and it was greatly appreciated because a couple weeks later, I turned in my application and was like, hey, I need a job again. And they happily rehired me. But it wasn't what I wanted to do. I wanted to work anywhere besides Barnes & Noble. It wasn't because Barnes & Noble was a terrible place to work. In fact, it has been one of my favorite employers in all of my years of working. You know, in the secular world, it's been a great employer. They hire good people who know about books and take care of their stores. I was always impressed with how well Barnes & Noble picked out their employees, but it just wasn't what I believed God was calling me to do. I wanted to do other things. I wanted to work in ministry. I wanted to pursue a job at a church, a job being a pastor of some kind, and that just was not panning out. And so I went back to Barnes & Noble, but in many ways, it was not me merely going back to Barnes & Noble, but it was the Lord calling me back to Barnes & Noble. He closed all the other doors, all the other opportunities I could have had. And I ended up going back to Barnes & Noble because I believe to this day that that's where he called me to, that my vocation was to work at Barnes & Noble for a little while longer. And that was a time where i learned deeply about vocation and calling learning about how to serve in a new kind of way to not just be trying to do a good job but to do it for the lord in a deeper way as an opportunity to serve others i learned to trust god during that time and all of this comes around back to first thessalonians chapter 2 here because during that time i learned a lot of things about my own faith i learned How to share my faith in a new kind of way. How to speak my faith in a new kind of way. How to trust in my faith and to be confident in it. How to love people in a new way as we've heard in all of our other readings. The theme of love. The theme of the law. The theme of doing what God has called you to do. Over there in Exodus you heard about not wronging a sojourner. Not mistreating widows and orphans. Not taking from the poor what they need. In the psalm you heard about the man who delights in the law of God, he's like a tree planted by streams of water. He grows and puts down roots into the word and draws sustenance from that word. And even in our gospel you hear Jesus in the first part being asked that famous question which is the most important law which is the greatest law and him answering it so quickly and in Matthew's gospel him just simply replying it is the love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind this is the greatest commandment and the second is like it love your neighbor as yourself see Jesus couldn't boil the law down to just simply one singular overarching commandment but it boils down to two because our faith life works in two directions our faith life is both vertical toward God and horizontal toward man, toward those around us. We learn to trust God and we learn to love God in the midst of loving those around us. You see, that's what I learned. At Bar- One of the main things I learned at Barnes Noble is that my love of God was best expressed in my love of service to others. By the way, I worked in the cafe, so I was serving coffee and cookies and muffins and sandwiches to people all day long. I was working as a server there, not as a bookseller, but as a server, giving people food and helping create an environment where they could do what they needed to do there at the store. And that's what love does. It learns to serve. It learns to love to serve because it loves God. Faith has trusted in God and learned to love Him that it might be expressed outwardly. And we see this in Paul's life here in 1 Thessalonians as he he recalls and writes and reminds the Thessalonians of what it was like when he first arrived. The first thing he brings up is the bold confidence that he had in the gospel. Beginning at verse 1, Paul says, For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness. And our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. In those first two verses, the two things that jump out at me is the fact that Paul knows that he did not preach in vain. But also that the Thessalonians knew that it was not in vain. And the reason that Thessalonians knew that Paul's coming to them was not in vain was because they were the receivers of the very spirit of God. As Paul said there at the the end of chapter 1, that they had received power from God, that they had turned from idols to the true and living God, and they were waiting for his Son to return, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. St. Paul's work amongst the people was in the power of the Spirit, for they turned to Christ, and they came to know his very forgiveness despite their idolatry and despite their sin. So Paul's work amongst them Silas's work Timothy's work was not in vain The spirit overcame their sin and turned the Thessalonians to the one true God they themselves are witnesses For they are the ones who experienced it They aren't witnesses who saw others convert They're the very ones who converted from the pagan ways to the ways of Christ So none of Paul's preaching was in vain Because they were the recipients and had come to know the power of Christ personally in themselves. And of course Paul reminds him the reason that he could come and confidently proclaim was because of the boldness he had in God. His confidence in God. He was boldly confident before the Lord. Trusting in him with all of his heart. Trusting that he was going to work. And this was on the heels of being kicked out of Philippi basically. There in Philippi, they were treated poorly. They were treated shamefully. Paul and Silas, being citizens of the Roman Empire, they had been arrested and flogged and cast into prison. Things that you don't do to Roman citizens in the Roman world. You don't just flog Roman citizens without a trial of some sort. And Paul used that to his advantage. He pointed out and let them know when they came to release him, That he was a Roman citizen and the leaders were fearful for the things that they had done to him. That he had standing against them. They had treated him poorly and shamefully there in Philippi. But what did he do? Did he go into a corner and cry? Did he go and hide for months and months on end, licking his wounds, letting his wounds heal, letting the flogging? Because the flogging is with a cat of nine tails. So with a whip, with shards of glass and steel in it. So it isn't just getting whacked on the back, son. It's having your back torn up in his mistreatment. No, he went to Thessalonica. He traveled southward on into Greece in order to proclaim the gospel because he was driven by the boldness of God in him. He continued to move forward in the gospel because it is the gospel of God. It is the healing for the world. It is salvation for the world to be preached and proclaimed. And that's what Paul has been called to do and he is going to do it no matter what. Despite treatment from others, despite how others view him, he goes forward. And it all comes directly from God. He was assured that God was who he said he was, that God had done what he said he would do. And so St. Paul could work. Because he was sure of his God. And in that confidence, he entered into Thessalonica. And out of that confidence, he and Silas and Timothy boldly proclaimed Jesus. And that it was Jesus who sustained them and strengthened them for this task. They didn't do this in their own strength. How could they? But it was Jesus who sustained them. I think for us, we can sit there and look at all, out of all the struggles we have, we can have that same confidence, that same bold confidence. I'm not saying that to minimize our struggles that each of us have. For we all have various kinds of struggles that I don't know about that are great and heavy burdens that we have to carry to the Lord. But I say that we can have the same kind of confidence because the well of strength we draw from is an infinite well. There's no end in it. We can draw from it no matter what. It's a bottomless well filled with fresh and sweet water that revives the soul. In the midst of our struggles, we can reach down into it and be revived. We can receive in abundance. And that reaching is different things. It occurs in different ways. It's scripture reading. It's prayer. It's worship with fellow believers. It's recalling our baptisms. It's receiving the Eucharist. All of those are places where the Spirit Renews our strength. And all of that is to be done in faith. Scripture reading, prayer, worship, our baptism, the Eucharist, they're not magic bullets or magic incantations that somehow bend God's will and power to our own. They're actions done with faith. They're actions done out of trust, even trust as small as a flickering candle. Even when you feel about to faint from the weight of the world, you can turn and trust that God is God and that He has promised and He has claimed you, that you are His child through baptism, that He will lift you up and renew you because that's what He has promised to do. The foundational promise is God saying, I will be your God and you will be my people. On that, we can hang our faith because that's what He does in each of those things. In Scripture reading, He comes and reminds us of that promise. In our baptisms, he says, you belong to me. In our receiving the Eucharist, he feeds us with the very body and blood of Christ through that bread and wine to renew us and strengthen us so that he can be our God and we can be his people. And that very faith that trusts in God's actions in those places to renew us is a very gift from God too. It's the instrument he's given us as believers to receive He's implanted that faith in us so that we can receive the grace. He wants us to receive it, and so He gives us the gift of faith. Faith isn't something we create or conjure up, but it comes from God Himself implanted deeply within us so that we can receive His gifts of salvation. And along with that bold confidence that we have in the gospel of God, in the forgiveness of Jesus, in the working of the Holy Spirit in us, Likewise with Paul, he went on to a bold proclamation, to a bold speaking. He had bold confidence to preach the gospel, and that was a, led him into bold speaking about the gospel. There in verse 3, he says, Our appeal did not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. I like that word appeal right there in verse 3. Sometimes it's translated as exhortation. But the word appeal or exhortation, depending on your translation, is from the same root as the word paraclete. Comforter. The name given primarily to the Holy Spirit in the Bible, but also used for Jesus sometimes. Our comforter, our advocate, the one who stands up for us. And so the word appeal has... A wonderful meaning of encouragement and consolation of comfort for people. A calling forth from that person to respond. And so it's not that St. Paul is merely speaking to the Thessalonians' intellect here, but he's talking to their various needs and their emotions. He speaks to them as entire beings, as entire people, telling them who Jesus is and what he has done through his death and resurrection. And in him saying this, Our appeal is not to just some random sermon he preached or a particular proclamation, but to the entirety of his message. That Christ has died for your sins and been raised for your justification. The entirety of their message is what the appeal is. And that is true. It's not impure. It's not an attempt to deceive. He's concerned that they understand that. And he goes on to say in this bold speaking that we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. So we speak not to please men, but to please God who tests our hearts. Paul's concern here is not their approval, not man's approval, but God's approval. He desires to please God. He desires to draw near to God. And he knows that they have received that very testimony that they are giving. They have trusted that very testimony themselves, and in trusting that, they have been entrusted with it. They know that they are sinners in need of a redeemer, lawbreakers in need of forgiveness. And so Paul and Silas have put their trust in Jesus. And so they boldly speak of the Thessalonians' need to do the same. St. Paul's faith has led to a deep love of Jesus, and that love leads him to proclaim and speak of Jesus' greatness in order to bring the glory to Jesus, in order to bring the people to Jesus, in order to draw all of us to Jesus. And him being entrusted with that gospel is a word of stewardship. He's been giving a stewardship. He's been given the gospel to trust in, and that gospel then calls him out and calls him forward to proclaim those very words to everyone else. He was a steward of the gospel itself. and So what was he going to do with it? Was he going to keep it to himself? Was he going to take it like a lamp and put a basket over it and hide the light? No, that's not what it's for. It's not a lamp to be covered. It's a lamp to be set up so it can shine out and drive away the darkness. For Saints Paul and Silas, that lamp of the gospel drove away their darkness of sin and isolation from God. And now they're holding it up proclaiming it, showing it, so it will drive away the darkness in those who hear and receive it. They hold it up for all to see so that their darkness will be driven away. And that's his bold speaking because he is trusted in what God has done and what Christ has done, that it will bring that healing, it will bring that end to isolation, it will bring us back to the Lord that we've been created for. And again, Paul isn't doing it To earn their approval he's doing it because that's what God has called him to do and God is testing his heart God is looking at him. God is reviewing what he's doing. Is he being a hypocrite or is he being true and faithful? Is he being consistent in what he's doing? God is testing his heart calling him forward continually And if he's been called into doing that very gospel proclamation then God's not going to pull the rug out from under him and not give him the spirit and give him the strength and give him the power to proclaim it. When God's testing us, he's looking for us to pass the test. He's not desiring us to fail. Satan wants us to fail the test. And so he turns tests into temptations, opportunities to sin, whereas God, when he tests us, he calls out of us the very faith And love and strength and power that he has planted deep within each of us by his spirit in our salvation. He desires us to pass with flying colors and so he will empower us to do the thing he has called us to do. And he calls us to proclaim the gospel to those around us. To make it known, to share it in our actions, in our words, in our love, in our care, in our compassion. And he empowers us and enables us to do that very thing not to earn the love and attention of others, but to point others to Jesus. If we proclaim that gospel out of a hope of gaining followers to ourselves or popularity, then we undercut their very faith. That's why we can't pursue any type of sharing of our faith, any type of living our faith, to earn others' respect. Because when we do that, When we do it out of an attempt to please others To flatter them or to flatter ourselves. We undercut the foundation of that gospel We cut off its power of working in us and in them But what do we do when we see that in ourselves when we look in the mirror of the law and we see that we are not Proclaiming the gospel or living the gospel or trusting in Jesus out of an actual desire to trust in him Do We run and hide No, we turn back and we say, oh, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. I believe, help my unbelief, as the Father called out. I know you can do this, Lord, but I don't trust you fully. Sin is overtaking my actions. But heal me, forgive me, renew me. Take away this desire for others' respect, this desire to be a man-pleaser. And make me into one who desires you alone, O Lord, who desires to please you, Father. And that's what Paul does continually. As he lives the faith, he confesses his sins. And that's what we are called to do continually is to confess our sins. Confess the things that we have done, the ways that we break God's laws. In order that we would be healed and turned from them. In order that we can repent of them. We can't repent of that which we refuse to ask forgiveness of. And so we ask forgiveness and we turn in repentance back to God. Whenever we find ourselves turning from Him, whenever we find ourselves not using the stewardship He's given us, whenever we find ourselves not proclaiming the gospel or living the gospel or living the Christian life out of love of God, out of trust in God, we turn and confess that sin and we know that we can do that. We know that we can turn and confess because of what God has done for us. We can do it out of a bold love for God. We can do it out of a bold love for the people around us. In verses 7 and 8, Paul brings up a picture that some may find awkward. As he speaks of a nursing mother taking care of her own children, he says, We were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. For me, that picture until I was a father was totally abstract. It's like, okay, I get it. Nursing moms care about their children. Okay. It wasn't until I was a father and I could see Rachel interacting with our tiny little infants, nursing them and taking care of them, that I really begin to grasp what it means for Paul now to say we were like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. How does a nursing mother respond to her tiny little infant? How does she act? How does she respond? Is she harsh toward that child when, it, when the baby struggles? Is she angry when the little one loses his grip in nursing? Or is she kind and gentle Is she caring, guiding that child back into the proper position so it can nurse? Not concerned about the time the feeding is taking, but concerned for her child to receive the nourishment the child needs. That's the picture Paul is painting here up for us. A mother taking care of her tiny infant, making sure that it is fed, and in fact, giving of her very self to that child. Not just feeding the child, but feeding that child with her very self. She imparts herself to that nursing infant. And that is what Paul is saying that he has done for the Thessalonians. He has imparted of himself. He has taken out of himself. In his affection, in his love, in his care for these people. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also ourselves. Because you had become very dear to us. Paul's bold love is there. Like the bold love a mother has for her child, for her little infant. So he has a bold love for the Thessalonians. But the bold love he has first and foremost is a love of God. Because he has embraced what God has done. He can love God because God first loved him in Christ. You see, Jesus, when he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind, he's giving us a law. He's giving us something that condemns us first and foremost because we can look at that and we can say, with my heart and my soul and my mind, with my heart, my soul, my mind, to get the direct, to get the placement right, is not happening. I am to do it with the whole entirety of my being. And the first thing I should say when I see that is to say, I have not done that, Lord. I have failed in that. But because you have loved me with your whole self, by sending your son to become a human being, to be incarnated in human flesh that he might die on the cross, you have imparted your very self to me and poured out your whole self. For me With your love I can love back with your love. I can love you in Christ For it is Christ's love that is in me for you Paul and Silas have come to love God wholly in this passage Not because they have built it up not because they have conjured it or created it But because God loved them in Christ first and made them partakers of Christ And it's out of the very love of God that flows into them that their love comes from. Our love flows out of God's love for us. Our love for others and for God himself comes out of God's love toward us. They flow together because we are united in Christ. We are connected to Christ. And so as God's love is poured upon us in Christ and we are united to Christ, Christ's love becomes our love for the Father. And Christ's love for us becomes our love for others. And so we can have bold love as Jesus did, reaching out to those who are in need, reaching out to those who need to hear this word of forgiveness, this word of the gospel, to be reminded that, yes, God has called you to love him wholeheartedly. He has given us laws and commandments that we have all failed to keep. But out of God's great love for you, he died on the cross. He sent Jesus, his very son, the second person of the Trinity into this world to die for your sins, for my sins, for the sins of the whole world. And this is the love of God that he sent Jesus to die for us, to be an atonement for our sins. And so God's love is poured upon you and upon this world that you would be called out of the darkness, that you would be called away from your sin, that you would be called to the cross of Jesus to see God's love displayed in glorious power. And yet, in what the world would call utter weakness. For there, God died on that cross because Jesus is God. And yet God's love is perfectly displayed for us to look upon, to call us out of ourselves to him. And that is where Paul is drawing his love from, is from Jesus, so that he can love others. Silas's and Paul's bold confidence, bold speaking, bold and bold love is all founded in that reality of Jesus dying and being raised for them and for us today. That's where our bold confidence, our bold speaking, and our bold love will come from. That's how we can stand in each of our vocations and be Christians. Is because Jesus Christ died for us out of his own love for us. And has planted in us trust and imparted to us his very love so that we can turn and love Jesus. That we can turn and love the Father. That is the foundation Christ For us, dying for us, loving us, being raised for us, revealing his love through his sacrifice. That is the foundation of God's work. And it's out of that that we live and move and have our being. It is out of that that Paul worked tirelessly despite shameful treatment at Philippi, despite injuries and wounds upon his physical body. It was because of that love of God in Christ for him that he had experienced, that had been imparted into him that was now flowing out of him, that he strove forward. And that's the very same thing we as believers have today. It's that very same love of God imparted into us through baptism and faith, through the receiving of the Eucharist, through hearing Holy Scripture, through praying prayers, that love of God is imparted to us continually. Drawing us to himself and then sending us out simultaneously to those around us. To share that very love of God. That love of Jesus to others. And that is our calling in all that we do. To share that gospel of Jesus. That we have laid hold of. That is part and parcel of who we are as believers. And So may we draw near in faith continually to receive that love that is poured upon us. That we having taken part in it would then impart it to others. May we live out of that foundation of the gospel of God's work, the gospel of God himself, that Jesus has died for us, that God might be for us, that he might be our God, and that we might be his people. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.